Welcome to the Cutaways Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And today we're joined by a guest. My neighbor Judy's here. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Yay! Yay! Thanksgiving! We can sing Be Our Guest. Because <laughs> it's about food. Okay. And Thanksgiving is about food. Songs about food. Yes. Be our uh. Guest, be our guest. guest. (laughs) (laughs) Jump in any time. (laughs) (laughs) This is what makes the podcast, guys. We already have the giggles. We have to, because otherwise we'd be crying. Oh, right. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Yes. We're on the other side of what we predicted, being taken over by the aliens. Yep. Exactly. Called you in the car on Tuesday night, just bawling. Remember that? That was yeah. lovely. Yeah. I shed tears as well. Okay, well, then then let's make uh let's make each other happy. Let's make our listeners happy maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Escape reality for a little. Yes. A little bit. Let's do that. A little bit. Sure. Little bit. Let's go off to another country. Yes. Yes, today our movie was recommended to us by my lovely neighbor Judy who is here. And she she wanted to come over and watch a movie with us, so she chose this French film. So our podcast is an amalgam of giggles, fun, popcorn, tent making sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And we watch movies. Oh yeah, we watch movies. We watch romantic comedies, yeah. But the tent making is very important. (laughs) Can I tell you though that today's podcast is brought to you by Leah, our patron on Patreon. On Patreon. It's our little Sesame Street intro. (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much leah the letter l today we're watching 1981's diva diva work (laughs) (laughs) well let me tell everybody the description that comes from dvd.com thanks and there's lots of french you can do it you are french just remember your french canadian ancestry okay okay when 18 year old jules secretly tapes the concert of a superstar diva who refuses to be recorded, he accidentally winds up with another tape that identifies a top mobster involved in an international sex and drug ring. Suddenly, Jules is being chased through the streets of Paris by blackmailers, hitmen, and the police. Action, arias, and assassinations all collide in this romantic thriller directed by Jean-Jacques Binic. Binic. <laughs> Benex. 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 You're disappointing your ancestors. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mushu is gonna come, and he's just he's gonna tell you how much you've dishonored everyone. Mushu de la Fontaine. Yes. <laughs> okay, so this film is stars Frederick Andre, Wilhelmina Wiggins, Fernandez, and Roland Bertin. And the director, again, is Jean-Jacques Benex. 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 Like Ben Affleck, but... Oh, okay. Benex. There you go. (laughs) It was edited by two editors, Monique Prim and Marie-Joseph... Josephine. Joseph. Joseph. Joseph Yoyot is French. (laughs) (laughs) The assistant editors were... Michel Crivalero, <laughs> Michel <laughs> Darman, Francois Gedig, Gedig, you're just you're <laughs> failing all around. Oh. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. Christine Pansu. <laughs> You should have looked up the phonetic way to say their names. You know, I thought this would be more fun, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's rated R. It's an hour and 58 minutes. It's in French. And it's rated three and a half stars on DVD.com. At the 1983 BAFTAs, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Do you have any other information you'd like to share about this film or how you came across across it and how you, you wanted to recommend it to us? I really, really like this film a lot. A lot. Did I say that already? I love it. I think that it, it's the series of books that, that um, De La Corto wrote, um, that's his pen name. His real name is Daniel Odier. And he, he wrote these books, Diva, Nana, Lola, Alba, and I left one out. There's five. It's a very easy read. It's simple. It's short. And it's just very well written. The movie isn't exactly... It's, it's pretty much like the story was written. It's a little more complex in the book. But it doesn't affect the film. I think that I liked it because it, it's a throwback to the French New Wave. Mm. So here we are in the early 80s with this director who is really all about about setting up the shots. So the photography is is really beautiful. It feels like it feels like Hitchcock in that every shot is very very deliberate and set up beautifully. And then the story itself which you could look at it and say, you know, mistaken identity or things that occur could be considered clichés, but because he he has thrown so many things together in one story it becomes really it becomes tragically moving Mm. and and it's it's just a beautiful story and it's it's romantic in its own way but it's still a thriller not in a whodunit sense um, because the audience is very aware of 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 what's going on it's kind of the way Hitchcock portrayed some of his films where the audience knew more than the characters in the film you know deliberately Mm -hmm. but I love the music. Um, Wilhelmina Fernandez um, at that time was an opera singer. I didn't know who she was. I'm not like a big opera buff, but I absolutely love the music. And it, it really affected me. And the whole story affected me. There's, there's some very quirky moments here. And I appreciated it considering it was 1981, 1982 when I saw it. I was a lot younger then. <gasps> So I might have a different attitude towards it now, like I'm more sophisticated or something, mm. or I've gotten older. I might not see it the same way. I haven't seen it in a long time. Mm. So I really appreciate that you guys were willing to watch it. I hope you feel the same way that I do. I hope your audience goes out and watches it. The only other thing I would say is that the film didn't do very well in France. Huh. When it came to the States, it, it fared better, but it wasn't a major film but it was definitely better they so they they showed it again in France and it it did better and unfortunately I think um De La Corta for, definitely thought that that Lola and Alba I believe were going to be made into film um into different films and I think that that idea was terminated based on the French receptiveness or lack of to diva so I, I think it's a good ride. And again, I, I, hope that you, um, I hope that you feel about it the way I do. 
we tend to like movies like we loved charade yeah loved it and that that's very hitchcock and very thriller and i love psycho Mm-hmm. So oh, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, yeah. so I'm excited now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this up. Let's go. Let's watch. What's what's watch is that? <laughs> oh, it's what's his face is back. Franck. Franck. I can't remember his name. I was like gonna say Jacques. I'm like, no, that's not right. It'll be Jacques now. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's watch it. Yes, let's go. Well, we just got done watching Diva. 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 <laughs> Now is the time where we talk about, like, our our first impressions, like, what we thought. And then we'll get into the plot. But I'm curious, uh, Judy, you said that maybe you change your mind of it? Or was it different this time around for you? I think that it felt that the biggest thing I noticed this time was the length. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I started thinking, okay, it's going to end soon, right? Even though I knew it was just under two hours, it felt like a longer two hours. It felt like there were things that that could have been edited, which probably, you know, in the 80s, I wasn't, even though I was in film school, I wasn't thinking about about that part of the process and, you know, what happens with directors' egos, and they don't want anything to go on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah. Um, And, you know, to me, two hours is pretty standard, However, I think this could have been shorter. Mm-hmm. It, it started wearing on me a little bit. I didn't remember the ending. So, oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. So that was, that was nice. Yeah, I felt like there's a bit of, like, rising climax, and I was just like, ooh, excitement, and then it, like, cooled off again. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely could have condensed the ending more to keep with that rise, probably. Mm-hmm. Keep it at that climactic kind of intense, like edge of your seat moment instead of giving you a fall in uh, intensity. Because I feel like that those moments are like, so when's it gonna end? Like that's when you start thinking. Yeah, when they start like trying like resolving things mm-hmm. in the middle of actually not having everything resolved. I really liked that uh, that warehouse set. Yeah. At the end, with all the like the creepy band member people. Oh yeah, that big warehouse. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was that was. Um, I thought that was very cool. I liked the interiors a lot. Yeah. yeah, using the the glass and the water and and all that in very different ways was really nice. Reflections. Reflections. Yes, the French are very good at that. Exactly. <laughs> and and if you think about anything that's French New Wave, you know they incorporated a lot of those type of elements that would be kind of you know considered reflective and and more in that 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 whole genre. And he tried to, I think he tried to emulate that. Yeah, it does make you really think about what's going on in the scene when you have it shot that way like the opening with the the shot on the guy's aviator glasses was really interesting because it really distorted her and it kind of made her like this mythical kind of goddess during the opera a little bit which was kind of interesting that's something i picked up on yeah i I definitely like the cinematography yeah the ending though i was a bit confused in what way i'm not quite sure what happened (laughs) I think the editing in this film is deliberately I don't want I don't want to say choppy, but there are scenes where it just breaks and goes right into the next scene and it's you know, you're sort of 
you're kind of jolted into that scene. And I think that's kind of how the ending end was as well. Like all of a sudden, you don't know how things happened. You don't know the sequence of events. You just know that this is how it ends. Mm-hmm. And maybe he just, maybe he edited that part out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I know with a lot more American films, they tend to spell it out for you. Like, and then the bad guy did this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, it doesn't, for me, it was like, it didn't really feel like it was completely over yet. Yeah. Like, I felt like there was just one more thing that was set up. Like, it just felt like, oh, this is a little open-ended. Like, they could still die. Like, there could still be, like, some connection to the mob somehow, some way, and they could still die. It was like, oh, are they, are we gonna... And then the black, the the exit music kind of stuff, I was like, oh, maybe a scene at the end, and everybody's, <laughs> everybody dies. Everybody dies. <laughs> or oh, what I call the carry ending. Yeah. <laughs> Which didn't happen until, was that after that or before? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't see that, that he would have done that. That's really an American thing. <laughs> Americans. Americans. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> of course, Judy, she comes back like oh let's talk about this election here's a foreign film (laughs) (laughs) exactly let's go to france okay this film brought up two topics in my head well yesterday i saw the movie florence foster jenkins which is about an opera singer a deluded opera singer Ooh, meryl meryl street Meryl. She's been singing in a lot of her movies lately. I feel like Oh, that was the one with uh Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant's gotten it. old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's aged. Uh, he was good in it. Oh, they that's were all good. good. It was good. It was good. But it reminded me of that because in this movie he talks to her and says that she's thirty two, she's getting too old. <laughs> in this movie. I thought watched. she was great. Yeah. But he was like, You're not getting any younger. 32 year old and i'm like (laughs) but you know most opera singers i believe don't reach their prime until after that yeah i was gonna say into their 40s i have a friend who's an opera singer she's 65 wow and her voice somehow has gotten better and better and better it's all she does is sing opera every day for hours you would think it would make sense because it would strengthen the muscles so it makes the sound more prominent Mm mm-hmm so you would think that they wouldn't put that age limit on. So I wonder, is it more of like the looks or is it... Did the director just want to be sexist? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another topic this film brings up that I thought we could talk about was the issue of piracy. Oh, yes. Oh, interesting. Yes, Justine, tell us about piracy. Well... Here's the thing. Okay, I understand piracy in this film in 1981 where you had physical copies of things and she was worried about them getting less quality over time. Mm-hmm. And there's only a certain amount of copies. A certain amount of copies equals demand. Yes. But now we live in a digital age where there are endless amount of copies of things, but they still limit them. Like, how do you limit digital copies that can be endlessly reproduced? Just so they could put a value on them. Hmm. I didn't know they limited cop, uh, digital copies. Well, it's a it's an imposed limiting. Like when you go get an ebook from the library, the library is not allowed to give out all the ebooks they want. They only have like seventy copies, and then you have to wait in a line for more copies. Why is that? Because they're endlessly digital. Yeah. Because people suck. 
But I, I find that interesting. In the old days, bootleg copies were, you know, people sitting in the audience making these recordings and then putting them out on, on vinyl. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think there, there was a, an old bootlegger in L.A. named Rubber Dubber. <laughs> and he would, like, sell to record stores. It was very underground. And his albums were, you know, the hot, the hot ticket you know, if you could get them. They weren't always perfect. He started with Dylan, I think. Mm. These old, old Dylan recordings. But I think the digital world, anything can be reproduced. Mm -hmm. Whether there's limitations on it, I guess it's if you follow the rules and you don't, you know, you don't, you don't duplicate. But I know that in, in India, for example, people sit in movie theaters and, and take, you know, record entire movies put those movies on to dvds and they get you know they get to the u.s um before the films have left the country Mm -hmm. not good quality but people rent them and watch them all the time and copy them there Mm -hmm. was a guy um when we went to see finding dory there was a guy who was snapchatting the whole movie and finally, I got sick of it because his phone was, like, oh, right in front of me. Oh. That was... Yeah, so I went and told the freaking theater guy, and then the guy stopped doing it finally, but he didn't get caught, so I was a little upset. I'm like, Disney will hunt you down, sir. Did you ask him to stop? He was a couple rows down from me. And, you know, just in the dark theater, you can just oh, see yeah, that cell phone. Of course you can. And so I wasn't going to yell at him because I had, like, two kids right in front of me, and I didn't want to be angry Ashley in front of children so I told the theater instead (laughs) well yeah and I I definitely see that with this digital revolution some things in our the way we do things have to change Mm -hmm. and even Warren Beatty was talking about this a little bit about what's different from the last time he made a movie (laughs) until now making a movie and he had definitely started talking down about distributors, you know, while at Fox with a Fox movie, which is like, well, I can't keep talking about <laughs> how it all really changed back when when movie companies used to own the theaters. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to worry about the distributing that much, so films were cheaper and da 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 and stuff like that. I feel like a lot of the money that goes that we pay for things don't necessarily go to the artists themselves. They go to the dis- distribution. Yeah. Which sometimes tends to have people self-distribute, like music artists and authors, to kind of get around that. Maybe someday we'll see something like that with films. Well, I think Netflix is the the beginning of it, of people being like having an active platform that they can basically reach out to and in a way self distribute i think that that's going to be where it'll end up being like like the amazon where you can go and publish your own you can get a hardback copy or a paperback copy of the book that you've written or you can get it make it a digital copy but yeah anybody could put their film on amazon prime now all you need is subtitles oh i didn't know that yep you could do it for free oh interesting so i think that's sorry oh go ahead no and then and then you watch it on demand Yep. You know, all those things, even publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get these books published and it's it's an on-demand fee Yeah, for that. And I, I think it's fascinating. I do, but I, I, I still have kind of a problem about watching streaming on my computer. Film, not television, just film. I think if we were actively able to 
have access, more access to movie theaters that had like this the streaming events. Like you had the one um, like Netflix right now, since they're doing a lot of Oscar buzz stuff, they're they're throwing things out into the theaters, and I think that that's a great thing to kind of accommodate for. How that would work, I have no idea. These uh, companies like Amazon becoming movie studios now. Exactly, because they're willing to fund. And I think Netflix, I think we're going to see more. I'm sure Hulu is going to produce some films. Hulu's been doing a lot of original TV right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. So I'm, I'm sure they're definitely using that as like a foundation for finding artists to do feature films for them as well. Well, I'm hoping... I'm also hoping that these independent companies will also start or be willing to support some independent filmmaking as well, Mm -hmm. and not just Warren Beatty and Woody Allen, you know, and and let some rising stars in there as well, which the studios are not doing particularly. Yeah. Yeah, they fill the, the, it would be nice to see them fill the roles of that I guess society and like all of these studies are saying like, hey, you guys are really actually bad with representation. You say that you are this industry of inclusivity and and diversity, but yet you're not very good at it at all behind the camera. So what what are you doing that's, and I think, you know, looking at how What's-His-Face, who'd had that one movie and then was given... Jurassic World by Steven Spielberg because Spielberg liked that one specific movie that got into Sundance, I think it was. It's like, why? Why can't the woman who's won Sundance, Tribeca, and has gone to Toronto and had awards and stuff, and she can't get anything like that? Why can't a, like, why can't a big-name producer do that? Why can't Steven Spielberg reach out and say, hey, because you know he has clout. You know he likes to work with women. He his editors have been predominantly women. So why why is it so difficult, guys? Well, and his partner was a woman too, mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think that's what it's about. I think for him, I think it's probably part opportunity. But I'm sure you know. Let's face it. If you're not a woman, there's a really good chance that part of you has a little sexist streak. Even women have sexist streaks. Yeah, I can see that. But I think that men men don't know what it's like to be a woman and they certainly don't know what it's like to be competing for the same for the same roles. Their rules are different and they're still different. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting in twenty sixteen where it's just it's still so hard and everybody's said for ten, fifteen years mm-hmm. all of these things and kind of gets harped into you like in film school and you're just kind of like well that makes me feel so great to want to work in the industry but it's also kind of motivating so let's let's be hurrah and you know kind of do this I mean I've worked on predominantly white male films so it's not always you know encouraging and sometimes there are days where it's just like oh my god I don't want to go to work today I don't want to I just I don't want to hear these jokes I don't want to hear this or see this constantly like girl in short shorts for no reason just because (laughs) so yeah it's just like from seeing it from like the inside and editorial kind of point of view it's just like I see all these opportunities to be inclusive that are just completely ignored even though you hear about it over and over and over again in Mm -hmm. the press and if you do research on it so it's just like why is it just because we're not doing research or are we just not are we actively ignoring or what what is the industry doing 
so wrong. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to change, but I think it's they need they need to do a lot more work and they need to have a lot more pressure on them. And I think there's a lot of women out there who also don't want to apply the pressure because they've got their they've got their roles, they've got their movies and they don't want to rock the boat for mm. themselves. And I think unfortunately I think that that's human nature. It isn't just about women. Yeah. It's about everybody. But in this case, I'm really referring to women who, who really struggled. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were able to, to get something. They got a role. They got, they got some kind of a break, as they say. And they don't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't speak up as much. And then there's the women who do. So hopefully we, we will see more of that. Women unite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to bring it back to the home front, for a lot of those reasons we listed, I feel like it's uh, what we do here on the podcast, where we supply a podcast for, for free, but say, hey, if you want to support us, go to our Patreon, you know, yeah. and you could donate that way. Yeah, I think Indiegogo and Kickstarter and everything do open up a whole other door just for funding wise. Ah, diva. Okay, so first we're introduced to our man on the bike, which is Jules. Jules. Sorry, my name is French, but I pronounce it not the French way. Although, wouldn't that be great if one day I was just like, it's Justine? Yes, you should do that. (laughs) You could do that. I might start calling you Justine. (laughs) That'd be fun. And you could be like, Cher. It wouldn't be your, your last name. It would just be your first name. Exactly. Jules. <laughs> uh, With his mobiette. A mobiette. Mobiette. He goes to the opera. Okay. Hands up. Who here in the room has used an agra before? <laughs> Judy's so sad. I'm sad. We had to rent one. We had to do an audio podcast, or not a podcast, but an audio like project where we had to like make a radio show up, oh. and so we had to re- use the Nagra to record it. Oh, that was when I was Hermione Granger. Is that the only time? What class was that? That was a. Uh, it was a sound class. It was a sound class. You I can't only what... you only used the Nagra in the sound class. Uh, we used it in our foundations class, but that was about it. But I used it because I knew of it from my audio class. So I was just like, we're going to record on this instead of using camera audio. <laughs> and in your foundations class, was it the primary audio for your film? Yes. Yes. That's what we used it for. We were making silent films and then recording all the audio on the Nagra. Oh, okay. It wasn't a nice Nagra like this. <laughs> no. There this were the little special. crappy ones. <laughs> Yes, it was just the thing you could just sling over your shoulder, mm-hmm. had a microphone attached to it. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, Nagra! <laughs> yeah, I knew exactly what they were talking about. But if you didn't, it would have been very weird. Yeah, and I was like, okay, first of all, how did he get such good quality recording on that piece of equipment while in a bag? Like, with did, no microphone. With no microphone. That is a good Well, question. this is a little bit where you might have to suspend that disbelief. Mm. It was a very clear recording. Mm-hmm. And the audience was very quiet. You didn't hear anybody rustling. You didn't hear any extraneous sounds. You know, it, it, it was a movie thing. And it was, was magic opera. He was monitoring levels without headphones or looking at dials. 
<laughs> he is an expert sound recordist. He yes. is. <laughs> he he just all knows. that equipment in his in his space. But he didn't do it for the money or the glory or the fame. He did it for himself. For himself, because of his obsession. Obsession. He was obsessed, but he he was in love with her. He was so in love. With he her. was so in love. It was over the top fandom. He was he was like legit fangirling. Yeah. He, he was Tumblr. He was Tumblr. <laughs> he was a like a human Tumblr for her. <laughs> that is a real thing. Coining that human Tumblr. Human Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> we also meet at this time the sunglasses people sitting behind him. The Taiwanese. Oh, the okay. Those yeah, the, the Taiwanese mobsters. The Taiwanese mobsters. 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 Mm-hmm. Like rock lobster? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He goes backstage to meet her at this little meet and greet. Uh, Says he's a postman. So he gets to meet her and then he steals her dress. Just her voice. And, ooh, he's Ursula. Ooh. (laughs) This is one of those times where I cross over universes and make connections. (laughs) But he gave it back in the end. So he's not evil, Ursula. He's just, he's just borrowing he's it. He's just borrowing it. And then had sex with it, but that's okay. Just, just, she didn't need to know that. This is the Disney version. <laughs> Everybody's got a kink. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay, do you want to talk about his uh, living arrangement? Did he live in the back of like a garage? It looked like it used to be an auto shop because they had, like, the things on the ceiling yeah. that would take the engines and things and drop them. Yeah. And there were cars, like, broken down cars everywhere. Cars that had had accidents. Yes. Mm-hmm. All those cars had been in serious accidents. And, the Rolls Royce. Especially the Rolls Royce. With the palm tree. What's the metaphor there? Well, I, I think it's interesting because he, he brought it up, but then you just you just never know what someone is thinking. You know, was that a shout out, mm-hmm. you know, to something that, that was real? I don't remember it from the book, but that I read it a long time ago. I'm not I'm not sure, but I think that it's really interesting that, that both of those characters, you know, both um Gorodosh and, and Jules live in these these warehouses in mm-hmm. these these big open spaces where they they have a different set of qualities but they're both really creative mm-hmm. in, in their own in their own worlds yeah do you think Jules is a squatter no i don't i don't because he's working you know he's got a job he obviously earns money he gave some to his mother and i think that he wouldn't be squatting in a place like that with all that amount of equipment because that's really all he had there. Yeah, that's like inviting people into your life. People could show up randomly to, like, buy this place. Mm. If you're a squatter, you don't want really expensive equipment sitting around or the people to know the fact that you've stolen these, you've created these bootleg copies of these this opera singer who you can't get a recording of. Okay, so he's listening to the recording. And then the next day, let's see, we get introduced to the trains. We see the train station, and then we see the shoeless woman. (coughs) Nadia. Nadia. And we see these men following her, and then she dumps something into Jules' bag. 
I thought the guys were the same guys from the opera, so I was very confused at this point a little bit. Because I was like, okay, so something's happening. The ice pit guy? Yeah. They work for the the chief of police. Yes. I was just so confused at the beginning because they were all wearing the same yeah. sunglasses. So I was like, okay, so they're part of the mob with the other guys at the opera. Or... And then, But they right away they said they were a police. Yes. Which was lying. I don't think it was lying. I think they, they probably worked under the homicide chief. That's the thing. With the homicide chief, I couldn't place him very much because then we also had the other two cops. Uh, the cop guy, uh, Thighs of Steel. That's his name. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> and the woman. And the woman. <laughs> but that was my problem with getting confused. I was like, they introduced like one more white guy into this scenario and that was like the police chief... And the crazy puzzle guy. So I kept on, like, kind of confusing them. Yeah, the police chief wasn't really around a lot. Not at the beginning. Not, not, not at the beginning. Mm-mm. And you get introduced to the to, to Gorodosh, the other guy, because of Alba. Yes. yes. Which, what was their relationship? Well, she's 13. And I don't know, I, I, I don't know if they say it or if it's something, I'm pretty sure that that in the book she's 13 and they have a different relationship in the book but it's still platonic Mm. but you know he he obviously as he said you know he picked her up somewhere and he used her as a as a model and she she gets to have this very spirited existence i love that she's on roller skates yeah all the time she roller skates around because the floor is you know very conducive and they have this understanding. She's like his right hand. Mm. I feel like another watch of the movie, I'd be able to... Place their relationship Well, better. just, yeah, just tack down who's who and yeah. everything. So we just saw that Nadia dumped the tape in the bag and then the quote-unquote police kill her. The bad guys. The bad police guys. Ice pick. Ice pick. Ice pick. Dominique Pignon. I know his name because he's in, like, every French movie I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what he was throwing at her at first, and then there was an ice pick. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) You're like, how did that get there? Dude. He's got good aim. He's got one good aim, and ice picks are, like, not perfectly balanced to be thrown like that. So it's just like, whoa. This guy, Do you think he ever misses? I don't think so. I think he practices all the time. Yeah, on real subjects. Yeah. And that's his, that's his signature. Exactly. And they are weighted, you know, and, and the force. And the fact that, you know, they don't, you don't see it spinning around like in a cartoon. Yeah. You, you see it go directly, boom, it's there and it's done. It's like an arrow. Yeah, mm. pretty much. Well, and I saw the poster. I think we're going to talk about the poster later, but I liked how they used the poster, the ice pick at on top because it's kind of like your inciting incident of the movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nice observation. Ah, it's like I do that for a living. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Then the next scene, we're in the record store where we meet our little thief, Alba, Jessica Alba. (laughs) That's what I remember her name. So we meet Alba. See, there was that pause in my head where I said Jessica. (laughs) By the way, Alba has, there's a whole book on Alba. Oh. oh, her story too, but that didn't get made into a movie. That'd be cool. That should be a movie. Yeah. She's stealing records. We see her naked a lot, even though she's 13. 
could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's what I remember. I should have checked it out before saying that. She looks 13. Yeah, she definitely, she looked very young. That's why when he, uh, when Jules and uh, Alba went on their date, I'm like, are you even supposed to be, like, dating right now? This is weird. Why? Are you old enough? Okay. Okay. I accepted this. Let's go. It's French. Yeah. I just worry. I worry for young girls. Oh, yeah. Me too. So Jules, Jules follows her, talks to her. Yeah. Befriends her. They talk about stealing stuff. Yeah. And she shows him how she steals records with a little special compartment inside her portfolio. And then we meet the other police people, the woman and Thighs of Steel. (laughs) I don't know his name. I don't know his name either. Yeah, I don't think they ever gave them names. They're just the popo. Those are popo. The legit popo. Yeah, the (laughs) legit popo. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're talking about Nadia. She had information, but she did. But they don't have the tape. They're they're doing the informant guy. Yeah, the informant like uh, called the lady cop to tell her that uh, she he had information on something and he was going to bring Nadia to meet them. But she never made it because she got intercepted by Ice Pick. She met Ice Pick. <laughs> she met Ice Pick. She was going to turn the tape over. Yes. And and let them hear it. But now they don't have the tape. They don't know where the tape is. Except they thought really, really hard about it. And they remembered the postman. Yep. She put it in the postman's bag. Da-da-da! And, and Ice Pick saw that too once he figured it out. Yes. So everybody is chasing poor Jules. And the big mob somehow gets killed. Oh, they want the recording of Christina. The, the, right. The, the Taiwanese Cynthia. guys Cynthia. want Cynthia Hawkins' Yes. music to make so some that, bank off of it yeah right so that they can produce you know reproduce it and sell it and then everybody else is after him you know kind of like kind of like the cliche of mistaken identity mm-hmm. but with a twist mm-hmm. yeah and that's why i appreciated it because there was that that little bit of a twist no i like it it's very much like charade where Mm-hmm. what's her with the Audrey being like I don't know why all these people are chasing me yeah <laughs> exactly and then with Carrie uh Carrie Grant being like five different characters yeah. <laughs> exactly so then Jules takes Alba on a date and she's wearing that plastic coat pink yeah a pink little plastic raincoat all I'm like was like that must have been terrible for sound <laughs> That's a very French outfit, though, right? They were very big in the bubble, like... Yeah, plastic. Plastic. Like that. Plastic coats, or raincoats, for sure. Yeah. She gives him a Rolex and a kiss. Aw, so precious. So he takes her back to his place, where he plays her the opera, and she's digging it. So she's cool. Yeah. She's now within his world. Exactly. And then she takes it home with her. To play for... For, for Gorodosh. For her governor or <laughs> keeper or man friend. Man friend. <laughs> her BFF. Her BFF, yes. Who likes waves. Exactly. Lots and lots of waves. <laughs> yeah, what? I feel like that would be Xander after we took him to the dog beach. He's just like, I love the waves. He just loved... Everything was blue. Everything was blue. Everything was about the ocean. 
It was his passion. Jimmy, his dad, had, like, one, like, paint can, and it was that blue. And everything that they, like, built in the house got painted blue. So it reminded me of that. I remember you telling me about this. (laughs) He hadn't bought new paint since, like, 1970s. (laughs) It's a blue period. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So, Alba... Goes back to where she lives in the loft with Garadosh. 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 I need more like. <laughs> you, no, you just gotta no. say it like a Pokemon. It's like Garadosh, oh. but it's Garadosh. 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 I'm corrected already. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm, I'm trying to think if I'm even saying it right, but I know there's an O there. Mm-hmm. French is from the throat and Spanish is yes. with the tongue. There see, you go. that's what. See? That's. See, that's my problem. Gargle more. <laughs> that's what I was just trying to do. <laughs> Next. <laughs> okay, so we meet Crazy Puzzle Guy. That's what I was saying. And she plays him the opera. Okay, and he's like, yo, this is what's-her-face and never gets recorded. How do you have this? That sort of thing. So that's why I was like, is he a bad guy? For the longest time, well, not even for the longest time, there was a certain point where I was like, this guy is the West Indian. This guy's the bad guy. This guy's gonna oh, kill everybody. That's interesting. I never thought that. Yeah, I thought Alba was like his little instigator and like brings him these things that he should know about and then he works his way in interesting. there. Interesting. I hadn't I had not thought about that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what point it was that I realized or I think it was the first time when he was showing Jewel the be- the bread. I was like, oh, he's not going to do anything. <laughs> he's not threatening enough with the knife. He's a good guy. Oh. I'm good. No, it was later when they were in the car, when they were playing the tape. He was, he's, he's very much interested in the tape, very much involved with the, the mobster side. So I was like, he's connected. I didn't think he was connected, but I was disappointed that, that he was actually going to, to sell it to them. Gotcha. <laughs> Okay, so our Jules takes his dress for a ride on his moped, and he goes to see some prostitutes. And while he's away, the bad guys go to his house and trash it. So he picks up this prostitute, and he gives her the dress to wear while they get busy. Yeah, that's, that's a little weird. Like, And then he gives it back to her. It's like, okay, I'm done with this now. It's like, what? That is, that is used... And it was it was his fantasy, and I think it's kind of, again, it was a little cliched. Oh yeah, you know, definitely like, you know, be my, be my trophy wife for a minute, and you know, put on this leopard outfit for me because it's sexy, and someone else wore it that I liked. Yeah, you know, brings that up, and so of course he had to get a black prostitute, mm-hmm. and so I thought that was interesting. I didn't appreciate it that much, you know, and then he gives it back to, to Cynthia. Yeah. It's like, you can have your dress back. Yeah. <laughs> he just holds it like this. <laughs> Here. Here you go. Maybe like, you want to like get damp. it clean. <laughs> yeah, like when, when guys like have socks or something, like when they're teenagers or whatever. My uh, brother used to do this gross. and it was really gross. Oh, boys. <laughs> boys will be boys. 
his house is trash, so he goes and stays with his friends, introducing like two more people who have no significance really. Yeah. yeah. They just are random people that he knows and he's very close to and they put him up so that he he has a place to sleep cuz now he's tired. Right. Yeah. But the plot point that gets out of this is he borrows his friend's bike. So a nicer bike than his. Isn't he like is he suspecting that he is like being investigated by the police? They said to him, his friend said to him that someone was asking for a postman. Okay. Yeah. It's one of his postal friends. Yeah. <laughs> and and someone had been around asking, you know, about him. So yeah. he he he's technically swapped bikes with him. Except it was a much nicer bike than his. And he puts his friend in danger. Yeah, good job, Joel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, but at this point, he finds the tape that Nadia has stashed in his bag. And he just, like, takes it and puts it in his pocket. Probably thinks it's one of his. Yeah, right. it's no big deal. It's just sitting there. Yeah. So next, he delivers flowers to Cynthia, the diva, and gives her her dress back. <laughs> Daintily. <laughs> Daintily. Well, at least he gave her flowers. She's mad at first, but then forgives him when she finds out he's a true fan. Which I was like, you really don't have to any, you don't have any obligation to this guy. You could just be like, okay, bye. Yeah. Bye. But I think she appreciates that she connected with somebody so deeply. I think that's where that comes in. I agree. I think that she recognized that. It was about her and the music. Yeah. Not not just her, but her with that music. You know, that, that she felt it. She definitely felt it. Yeah. She probably has never really had that experience where, you know, you have, when you're that popular, you're surrounded by yes people and exactly. people who are kind of trying to inflate your ego. And then when you feel like you've actually made somebody feel genuine emotions, you want to connect with that. Even if it is, it comes off from the outside perspective as a little weird and creepy. Well, and she's there by herself, too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so she's in a foreign country. Yeah, that's true. Okay, next she has a press conference. Anything about the press conference? She compared pirating music that way to rape. Yes. And her manager is trying to talk her into allowing this recording to be you know to be manufactured when i think he doesn't actually ever really understand her feelings behind it and was trying to pressure her you know on other fronts exactly to get her to record exactly Mm -hmm. well he he would make money too oh he'd probably make more money than she would off of it so he had his motivations and he didn't understand her he got all pissy and left okay so the bad guys have a little parking lot meeting Jules tells um, Alba she can keep the recording, so she's got it still. He's trying to keep it safe. Yeah. Yeah, he thinks it'll be safe there. Yeah. Jules goes to a restaurant after hanging out with those people, and Cynthia is there. Well, they're going on a date. Oh, right. I remember now. They uh, had planned it when uh, she, or when he dropped off the flowers, and so that's why he was going back to Alba's and... Uh, Gordosh. So that he um, had a place to stay because he can't go home. So he's just chilling with them before his date. Mm-hmm. And then they have a little montage walk mm-hmm. through Paris with statues. Yeah. 
Like, oh my gosh, that scene where she's just sitting there with the umbrella and, and you watch him the way, again, the way you would see that cliche yeah. of someone sitting next to you on the couch, <laughs> a man, you know, sort of moving over a little bit closer and a little bit closer to, to his... <laughs> His, his prey. His prey. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. But, you know, innocently, just kind of moving over in a shy way. So he did the same thing, you know, moving yeah. on all the chairs. But she just sat there with this umbrella, and it was so... It's one of those... It's one of the areas of photography that I, I really liked. I mean, that scene just really stands out because it's all about their, their individual level of innocence. Mm-hmm. She's innocent and, and vulnerable in her own way, and he's innocent and knows he wants something and, and, and is trying really hard to get at that. I, I just thought it was done really nicely. Nice. No, it definitely comes off as very sweet, and I loved that she was so enamored by her surroundings that she was, you know, she was on a level of just vulnerability to be open to all of that. So she was open to possibly having, you know, or opening herself up to Jewel. Well, and it was like, mine is him, just her with the umbrella and sitting there. It kind of evoked French paintings mm, as mm-hmm. well, the way, the way she's positioned and just so still, like, like she's modeling. She doesn't really move. I want to bring up something about the music. Okay. Since yes. I just want to interject it. I have a huge problem with films where the music is used in place of dialogue. And American films do this quite frequently, especially with romantic comedies mm-hmm. and other types of films. Aside from the music being somewhat mal- manipulative at times, you're drawn into the music and there's no dialogue. And, you know, the people are, uh, it replaces the dialogue. Not that it's an accompaniment to, to the action, but it's actually replacing what what should be dialogue and in this film for some reason there's a lot of music and the dialogue is is minimal Mm -hmm. this this is a film where you notice right from the very beginning of the film that there is not a lot of dialogue going on here and yet you get the complete picture you get the complete story minus some confusion out there but but the music really, really complements what they're doing. And so when they're walking through Paris, that music that's there is, um, I forgot to look at the credits. I think, I think it's Eric Satie. I think it's part of the Troisième NOPD, but I'm not sure. But if it isn't, it's something very close to it. I'll have to look it up. Mm. Um, but I liked it. I liked that, that that happened in that moment. They didn't need to have dialogue. Yeah. We've talked about it a lot, about how music trying to make you feel one thing while the visuals are just, like, not up to par. So you have this disjointed of, like, yeah, I don't feel that way, music. Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) The one that I always bring up, because it's the one that I remember the most, is when we went to see Mad Max, and they're in the desert, and they're looking at the stars, and it's just, I'm like, okay, I'm enamored by this moment right now, but... I don't need this sad, melodic music trying to tell me that this is supposed to be like a empower, or not an empowering moment, but this is supposed to be a downbeat. 
Like, I don't need that right now. You're, you're of course, talking about the more recent Mad Max. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just needed to... Fury Road. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You won't see that in the original. Yeah? No. It's always the one thing that... It's the top of my list of those moments that I hate the most when they do music like that. But other times I think it can be very... It can be well done. If it's just you have to, you really have to cultivate the right scene, I think, for it. Very good. So, okay, this next part, though, he stays over Cynthia's house, but they don't sleep together, right? No. Because they're in separate beds. But they did frame it in a way that it did look like it until they caught to the wide. So they are in in the same space. They're in the same space, but he's on a couch. Mm -hmm. Yes. But we don't know what happens after that. Oh, nope, we do not. Sunglasses men call Gorodosh about the Cynthia recording. They Which know sunglasses men? The sun, the, the Taiwanese, the Taiwanese, Taiwanese Okay, the gangsters. The right. gangsters. Yeah, the gangsters call, say, we know you have the tape. Give us the tape. Give us the tape or else. I don't remember if there's any conclusion to that scene. No, they leave it, like... Or if it's it's just the open threat, and we're like, what's yeah. gonna happen? I think it... Well, we know what happens later, but yeah. I just have to interject something that I hadn't thought about before. So this movie is made in 1981, and where I had to suspend a certain amount of disbelief is how all these people knew where all these people lived. Now, some of that I understand because they are following him, even though, again, it's that, that sort of Hitchcock thing where there are things happening that, that the audience doesn't know but the characters know and that the audience does know that the characters don't know. It's kind of the same, the same thing. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, ostensibly everybody's following him, but they would have no reason to believe that he gave the tape to mm. Alba. Mm-hmm. So, you know, does that mean that they followed Alba to where she lives and then they figure that out? It's like it's like they're, they're checking on everything that he's doing once they find him. But it's how they go about it. And we, we don't see any of that. It's yeah. a mystery. It's, it's, it's all a mystery. And in this day and age, it would be very simple to do. Mm-hmm. But then you just have to accept that that's why the editing comes in so so abruptly sometimes it's mm-hmm. like oh we're there we did that already so we're we're going to be here i just wanted to sort of say that because for anybody who's going to watch the film it's one of those things that you have to accept yeah. or, or not mhm which i think they they let you in on that idea very early on where you know you go to the opera you're just thrown into the opera you're not you don't get any real lead up to it you're just okay he's at an opera now and then okay now we're not at the opera now he's stealing things Mm -hmm. so you're very into that i guess choppy Mm -hmm. editing it's not necessarily um cohesive all the time and you're into that i think they did a very good job of introducing that or keeping that early on because otherwise it having that jumpiness later on would be very very disruptive to, I think it would take people out of the film. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so Jules has a breakfast with Cynthia, and then there's a phone call for him, but nobody knows he's there. Dun, exactly. dun, dun. It's the gangsters. The gangsters know all. So she's rehearsing, so they threaten him. 
She's rehearsing. He takes a bath. He takes a bath. Somebody tells... Is it... Oh, it's her manager or somebody? The manager guy? Yeah, he comes and pulls her away from rehearsal after Jules has taken his bath. And they're sitting there at the piano and he's like, okay, we need to talk about something. The gangsters are blackmailing you. Basically, yes. Yes. That's when he tells her she's old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. By the way, you're old. (laughs) This is a good source of income. Because you're old. Yeah. She's upset and she says, they won't make me do it. Mm -hmm. No. So Jules says, I'm going to go pick something up. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And something else unrelated to this, I must leave. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when the, uh, the police, the legit police, follow him. And we have this chase scene in the underground subway. With, with uh, thighs of steel. Thighs of steel. Thighs of, that was thighs the steel. most awkward conversation in the entire, like, Did here, touch my touch thigh. Touch my thigh. Touch my thighs of steel. Like, what? Like, no, thank you. <laughs> that car, that, that, that Mobiet chase mm-hmm. is truly, it's, it's really phenomenal. When you think about, again car chases mm-hmm. there are some like like bullet oh yeah you I know, know one of the you know really that's that's an amazing car chase i mean there's been plenty of them but this one this was real i mean this you know i think it's i think it was a great idea i think that that it was shot beautifully i think it was it was fun it was definitely entertaining I loved them going into the subway with his motorcycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. And then when he runs out of gas, that was hilarious. He just tosses it into yeah, the Yeah, he's just like, guys, I can't anymore. I gotta go. <laughs> I love it. You were like, he's out of gas. <laughs> What's he gonna do? And again, the music that they used with that, too, was also... I didn't even notice the music. I did at one. the moment. Yeah. I made a note of it because it was it was just it was perfect and I didn't feel like I was being manipulated. Yeah, I didn't feel like the sense of urgency was added to it. It was just kind of like I guess it I got the urgency from what was going on, so I didn't really pay attention. I think attention. you get it from the editing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah. Okay, so he loses that those cops, but he can't go to Gardosh's place because he sees that the gangsters are in front of it, so he doesn't have that place to go to. I love that the gangsters just like alert him to their presence by turning the light on I in the car. <laughs> don't don't come. We're we're here. We're here. So he goes and he asks the prostitute that he stayed with if he could crash at her place. So she gives him the keys and then so when he's at her place, he notices that he has this tape in his pocket finally. So he plays it back on her system and it's Nadia's confession. And he learns in this confession that the prostitutes are in on it. So now he's in danger. (laughs) Not only are the prostitutes in on it, the police are in on it because the police, the homicide police chiefs uh, Mm -hmm. is like a racket of prostitutes. Exactly. They're selling girls for drugs. Yes. And a lot of these these females that they're dealing with are are African-American, literally. And he makes the connection. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, well, gotta go. Yeah. Bye. Well, and we see her on the phone. Yeah. The prostitute yeah. on the phone. And she called the bad guys. She called the bad guys. And this is Ice Pick and yeah. his partner. Right. So then there's this other chase and he runs into the parking lot. And then the Ice Pick starts shooting at him from the car and shoots him, shoots Jules in the shoulder. And now he's leaving a blood trail as he's 
walking through this arcade. But he gets to the phone and he calls Gardosh that he needs the rescue. He sinks slowly down into his little phone booth. Yeah. And then Alba comes on the phone and tells him a story. And he's about to get stabbed. When? Gardosh shows up. Hits him on the back of the head. No, no, no. He's got this mystery oh, mist. Oh, the, the, the chlorophyll or the chloroform, the aerosol chloroform. Something that just takes away, you know, everything. And, yeah. And so now Ice Pick is on the ground. Mm-hmm. This is when I thought that the puzzle guy was the West Indian. When he's like, okay, I'm taking this situation. Give me the tape. Let's play it. This is when I was like, this guy... Something up with him. He's involved way too much. <laughs> I thought he was just being a friend at I this point. I think he was just a good guy who has money and wants to see justice done on one hand, but then is willing to... He's a hermit. Yeah. Well, I am from Rhode Island. <laughs> we know this. Where nobody just does you a favor. They want something. <laughs> Is that what happens on Rhode Island? Interesting. That is yeah, interesting. If someone wants to do something nice for you, they want something. That is what we learn in Rhode Island. <laughs> wow. So then. So then. <laughs> okay, so Alba drives them. Alba and them. Alba and all them drive to the phallic castle. <laughs> <laughs> the haunted castle. Is it haunted? Yeah, Alba said originally it was a haunted castle. Oh. But it's really a lighthouse. It is really a lighthouse. It was. It was very pretty. Especially mm-hmm. with that one shot of her Ooh. opening the window mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. getting topless and then untoplessing. I didn't quite understand that. Unless it was like to feel the ocean on her body. But she was just being free. I get it. Gardosh <laughs> wants to find the West Indian. Okay, do we ever know? Do we ever solve that? Is it the chief or is it no? I thought the chief was the West Indian. That's yeah, what I kind of thought. That's what he was. Okay, okay. So it is the chief. The yes. chief wants to switch the tapes. He brings the tape to switch. He plants the tape in, in, in Jules' apartment. Well, apartment. In his warehouse. Yeah. Figuring yeah. that, you know, it'll it'll get switched somehow. Right. So Garadosh gives the chief the car. Goes to the abandoned warehouse. The chief has planted something. N- not, yeah. But there's still still a thing where this trade-off for the gold bars is happening with Gardosh. But then the gangsters, the Taiwanese gangsters, show up and they take the car, but the chief explodes the car with them in it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was his plan. He thought the other guy was going to get in the car. Exactly. He was trying to get rid of all loose ends. Anybody who may have listened to the tape. Mm-hmm. Has to die. Jules left again. <laughs> he's like, and people keep telling him, like, stop leaving, you're gonna die. And he's <laughs> like, I got, sh- I just gotta go give this tape to the diva. One more thing. One more, just I one just more gotta thing. go. Just... I know I've been shot at and stuff. I'm yeah. like half dead, but I just gotta go meet a girl about a tape. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the bad guys get him. What did I say? Police iron legs get called by the chief? Yeah, they're at uh, Jules' house. His garage. His garage house. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still, like, researching or waiting for him to show up or something. And the police chief calls him to come in and write another report, is what he says. Right, because he's like... No, because he wants to plant the tape. But he also is just like, 
trying to create false reports, I guess. Yeah. That's how I yeah, took it. That's how I took it, too. A false report. Right. Yeah. So the, the police that he called, they were, they were on stakeout at Jules' place. Yes. So the police chief is like, get out of there. But only iron legs. <laughs> iron thighs. Iron thighs. Iron thighs. Iron thighs. Thighs of steel. Thighs of steel. <laughs> Sorry, his name evolved. <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys take Jules to his own apartment. Only the female cop is there. She's hiding right now. They, they plant the tape. And they want him to jump down the elevator shaft. But finally, the good cop pops out and kills the bad guys. She hits uh, Ice Pick's partner. She shoots Ice Pick. She shoots Ice Pick and he falls. Mm-hmm. She only shoots the other guy in the, the knee. leg. Yeah. yeah. And then he somehow, I don't remember how he died. How did he die? Doesn't he fall down the elevator too? No. No, that no. was the, the chief. The chief shot him a bunch. The chief oh, shot him. Yeah, the oh, chief right. kills okay. him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the chief shows up. He's planning to do some framing still, so he's shooting up everybody. Well, and he's checking to make sure this tape is the same, is the real mm-hmm. one. How did he know that the other one was fake? Because they were still going after him, but then they found the other, the, the tape that was switched out? He had the real tape. Well, the real tape got stolen by the Taiwanese guys that then got exploded. Really? Who had the, uh, no, I thought the chief, no, the. I thought the chief was planting the fake tape. No, but who had the real tape? I was pretty, I thought the fake tape went with the Taiwanese guys because they came in and stole something from the chief because they clocked him over the head. And I then, don't remember what happened in there. Ah! Yeah, I thought the Taiwanese guys got exploded with the fake tape and then Jules still had the real tape somehow. But I thought that was the whole like switcheroo deal was to get the real tape. Gordosh had the tape. Gordosh yeah. had the tape, yes. And the police chief had the fake tape when they had their meeting. Yes. He took the tape. I don't know if the Taiwanese guys ended up with it. I don't think they did. If they oh, did, okay. it was destroyed. Yeah. So then he's in the car and Alba gives Jules the recording. Mm. Yes. She gives it back to him. The Cynthia. The Cynthia recording. The Cynthia, Cynthia recording. recording. Yes. Not the Nadia recording. Not the Nadia recording. There's so many recordings here. Yeah. That's the point. <laughs> well, the, the Gordo shows up. After you think that the chief is going to shoot everybody and makes him fall down the elevator shaft. So that's how he dies. That's how he dies. So, okay, yeah. There's that exchange. Everybody's safe. (laughs) So then we're with Cynthia. Uh Uh-huh. At the opera house. At the opera house. Is she singing at first or we think she's singing? No, she's singing at first. She's just like walking around singing. Mm -hmm. She's saying goodbye to the She's saying goodbye. But then he's playing... Jules plays back the recording. He starts the recording, and if you recall, I think it's very interesting. At, at the beginning of the film, when he has the recording, there's a lot of lead on there. Mm-hmm. So it takes a, a little bit to get into the recording. So he has enough time to get down there on the stage with her. Yep. And and then it starts. Mm-hmm. And it's very... Um, it's it's very touching because she has never she has always been afraid to hear her voice. Yeah. Mm. And that's what was holding her back from recording. She didn't want to hear it. So skilly. And then they have a moment. And then they have their moment. Yep. They kissy. They snuggle. And they snuggle. There was a kiss. I swear there was a kiss. Yeah. There was a kiss. I think they kept it far enough yeah. back so that it wasn't it, it might not have been a a real lip lock kiss, but it was definitely a a romantic kiss. Yes. That's the end of Diva. Uh, you want to talk about the movie poster? Yes. Have you seen this movie poster, Judy? Oh, I might. I, 
I might have seen this. Interesting that very Star Wars ice pick. Yeah, is so is so big compared to the rest of it. I don't really like it. There's things missing from it. Yeah, but it creates this mystery of like, what is this movie about? <laughs> it looks like a '80s sci-fi movie. It's very Star Wars. Yes. We see silhouette. Is that that's our main guy in it's silhouette? Jules. Jules with the ice pick to his eye, yep. and his eye exploding out in this light, and he's riding the motorcycle into his eye. Yep. Yeah, that's a little strange, but I think it's. I would have liked to have seen more of the characters kind of tossed in at random. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters. This is a. This is definitely a character-driven film. But I also like how simple it is. Like. He is also part of the sky, and she's singing to the stars behind him, creating this whole other world. Yeah, I think it leaves you with a little bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, now is the point where we rate the film. We rate out of five, mm-hmm, I know. and we give an object. After you. I'm going to go with the Netflix consensus of three and a half. So I give it three and a half wave machines. Ooh, I like it. Ooh, three and a half wave machines. Okay. Get three and a half waves. See, I can do it with my hands. Look at you. It's an audio podcast. I know. (laughs) There's so many things that I do that are missed by the podcast listeners that you only ever will experience. (laughs) I'm going to give it three and a half as well puzzle pieces though Ooh. i liked the puzzle i loved how it started with that big huge pile of puzzle pieces and you didn't quite know what the puzzle i loved how the puzzle was kind of like your little insight into where we were in the story like here's the big pile we're at the beginning and then here's like he's framing it out and then you're framing out the story mm. i liked that interesting i'm giving it a four and a half battered cars Ooh, i like it (laughs) because the cars were the because transportation in general was was part of the story yes nice different forms of transportation and i want to say thank you to both of you you've been very gracious (laughs) I, i have to do this again with you sometime of course yeah we'd love to have you back on the show <laughs> all right ashley's gonna take us out what's next on the podcast next week we'll be watching 1997's gross point blank junk you zach <laughs> justine has a phd in john cusack I mean, it's imaginary, but it's... It's still there. It's still there. Well, if you like our podcast, why not become a patron on Patreon, which is a mouthful to say. (laughs) (laughs) If you would like to support our podcast, you can find it as Cutaways Podcast at patreon.com slash cutawayspodcast. Our website, which will also have all of this information on it, is thecutaways.com, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Cutaways Podcast. Also, because we love you and we want to see some love too, please leave us comments, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Yeah, tell your friends about us. Yes, share it. Show the love. All right, thank you for being on, Judy. Yes, thank you. You're quite welcome. (laughs) That was my pleasure. All right, see you next week. Bye! Bye! Bye.